you have your Bibles, please turn them to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to continue looking at this part of Ephesians where Paul is explaining the grammar, if you will, of the Gospel as it applies to our interrelationships between family and friends and workplace. He talks about us submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he explains that wives are to submit to husbands. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children are to be obedient to their parents and give them due honor. And in the workplace, there's to be a spirit of unity and obedience as well. And so I'm going to read this morning only this portion starting in the verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 6 concerning children. Now hear God's Word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the Word of God. Let me read you a few quotes that I think you'll find very interesting. The first one, Youth today live in luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people. They talk nonsense when they should be working. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize uh, their elders. That was attributed to Socrates in 400 B.C. Listen to this one. When I look... At the younger generation, I despair for the future of civilization. That was Aristotle, 322. I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today, for certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. This is from Hesiod from the 8th century B.C. And finally, what happened? to our young people. They disrespect elders, disobey their parents, ignore the law, riot in streets, inflamed with wild notions, morality is decaying. What is to become of them? And that was Plato. You know, history has taught us that every generation frets over the coming generation the younger people, and, and rightly so. I mean, there's, there's plenty of evidence that we should be concerned uh, about the state of our culture and about the state of our kids and all the rest. And there's another saying, and I think this one is very true, that parents and children are almost always destined to disappoint uh, one another. Parents and children are always destined to disappoint one another. Paul has laid out the character for the new 
humanity. You see, he in the book of Ephesians has said there is a new humanity that is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Jews being a specific ethnic group, very ancient, still exists today, and everybody else. Gentiles is everyone else. And what Paul is saying is that God, through His Son Jesus Christ, through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, through actually the veil of His flesh, which we mentioned this morning, His his very body became the vehicle by which men and women of different races and backgrounds and socioeconomic levels come together and become one. One new humanity. And then Paul chooses, under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, to give that new humanity a new grammar, a new way of speaking, a new way of acting, a new way of understanding its place in the world. Very unique and yet very much the same as what the rest of the world understood to be true. It was natural. It was natural for children to obey their parents. But Paul prefaces all that he says about wives submitting, husbands loving, children obeying, and masters and servants treating one another with respect and honesty and integrity. He, he, he pre- precedes all of that instruction with verse 21. Look in your Bible. He said... You must submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21, chapter 5. And then he says here, and and this is the point I've tried to make, not everybody agrees with this, but I think it's the better approach, that Paul is saying under this umbrella of mutual respect and submission to one another, it's going to look like this. And he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Give them honor. And workers and employees, treat one another uh, with respect. And so that's the approach I've taken. I've given you the definition for submission. Submission can mean a lot of things. It can just mean raw obedience. In other words, the husband speaks and the wife jumps. In some world. We're not sure which world that is, but but in some world that's possibly... (laughs) It actually may happen. But... All right, but, but that's uh, one approach. Maybe that's what submit means. But I think it's better to use the word submit, to take the word submit and find out what Paul says submit means. And I think we get it from verse 21. Submit yourselves, therefore, out of reverence for Christ. He ties submission, which is fluid. It can mean a little bit more than just raw obedience. And he says it's more than that. Obedience, yes, but... It's more than that. It's deference. It's respect. It's believing the other person is better than you. And so as a wife submits to her husband, she's doing it out of humility, out of deference, out of respect for Christ. And that's her approach to her husband. And and the, the flip side of that is the husband is to love his wife His submission, if you will, to Christ is going to look like love and service and sacrifice to His wife. And now we come uh, to the children. 
And children, what Paul means by children, he's not talking about the little bitty ones that, you know, they need more hands-on. You know, you've got to hold them. You've got to keep them from running in the street. You say no, but sometimes they don't really know what no means. Uh, And and he's talking about older children. Children that that can be reasoned with. And and don't think, parents, that you can reason with your two-year-old. They don't know what really tomorrow means. Right? Now, I know that everyone here has exceptional two-year-olds that can already do higher calculus. But no, the reality is we need to approach children at age-appropriate levels. And there, there are stages they go through. And if they can be reasoned with, you reason with them. I mean, they can't, well, then you just have to hold them back from eating the whole gallon of ice cream. So what is this character of the new humanity, particularly with respect to the youth, Uh, Paul says it's love, service, sacrifice in the context of this mutual submission, humility, and it's not natural to any one of us. We are very self-centered, very selfish, very self-oriented. And I have told you for the past, I don't know how many weeks, that the only hope that you and I have of defeating that selfishness and that self-centeredness is to resort to what Paul calls submitting yourself to Christ and to one another. And if you do that, it will begin, listen folks, it will begin to erode the foundation of self-centeredness in your life. You will quit looking so with such intense scrutiny at the fault of everyone else, and you will begin to work on your own heart. And as you change, everybody around you will change. It's inevitable. Because relationships, folks, listen, are the sum of both people or all people's actions. In other words, we are interconnected. And that's hard for Americans. Americans love rugged individualism. But the reality is we are tied to a family and to a community. And and so mutual submission to others, deference to others, giving way, having a humble heart, a heart of service and love, will deconstruct that self-centeredness, it will go right to the heart of it and it will begin to erode it. And here's the good news, it will take you your whole life long. Yes? Whole life long. So don't get frustrated that it didn't happen in the last two minutes that you tried it. It's going to take a lifetime. And so you bear down on it and you say, for the rest of my life, I'm going to... I'm going to address my sac- I'm going to address my selfishness and I'm going to do so by mutually submitting to those people around me and I'm going to consider others better than myself as Paul said in Philippians and I'm going to deconstruct that selfishness over the course of a lifetime whenever it rears its head and so he's going to speak today to the issue of children. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this. And kids, let me say this to you, you younger folks that are, if you're still living at home and you're under, now if you're 30 some years old and you're still living at home and dependent on your parents, I want you to come see me. We need to talk. All right? But if you're still in high school, middle school, college, you know, you're still dependent on your parents, fine. And that's who he's talking about. He's talking about youth, young people. 
there's three things we're going to look at. Let's do it real quickly here. We're going to look at, first of all, uh, two commands and a promise. He addresses the children first, two commands and a promise. Then he addresses the parents, father and mother. I'm going to try to make a case for that. Uh, two commands and a privilege. So first, two commands and a promise to the children. Two commands and a privilege uh, to the uh, parent. And uh, finally, we'll look, take a look at the perfect, the perfect child. And it's not yours. The perfect child. Okay, look at, let's look at the two commands uh, and a promise. This is found in verse 1 through 3. Uh, Paul says this, Father, uh, children, obey uh, your parents uh, in the Lord, for this is right. Okay? And what he is saying, he uses a word obey, and I won't go into all of the details, but he uses a very strong word which is stronger than submit. He's not saying submit in the same way that a wife submits to her husband. He's saying obey them. He doesn't tell the wife to obey her husband. Good luck with that. He tells the wife, submit to your husband or give him due respect. But what he tells the children is, obey your parent. And he gives a very strong word. That word uh, means uh, that there's a willingness of heart and mind. There's an inclination in the child. I will do this. I will not do it holding my nose. Right, kids? I won't do it holding my nose. I won't do it with resentment in my heart. I won't do it uh, with anger and passive aggressiveness. Okay, fine. I'll clean my room. That's not the way. The way is I will do it willingly. There's a shift In the heart of the child, one in which he acknowledges the place of the parent and says, I'm going to do this willingly, even if I don't agree with it. I will do it willingly. So what it is, is this, and I'm going to give you a a phrase that I don't know, maybe I came up with it or maybe somebody else came up with it. It really doesn't matter, but it's a good phrase. Active listening. In other words, what he's telling the children, and this applies to adults as well, there's a kind of listening that we do where we're really not hearing, right? We're listening in order to formulate a response. Are you that kind of person? I'm very often, look, I'm mea culpa, I do it. Sometimes I'm listening, somebody is telling me something, and, and I'm not really listening to what they're saying. I'm already formulating my response. Are you with me? My response is already being created in my mind. I'm really not hearing what they're saying. And so when they finally finish with the, what they're saying, I really have not heard them. I've really only heard my response. And so my response often doesn't Look, couples, don't you have this problem where you have trouble communicating? You say one thing and, you know, you say tomato and what does your husband say? What? No, if you've got a real marriage, your husband says jalapeno or some crazy. I mean, he's really, I mean, it doesn't even have to be that. If that was that, it was that close, that would be good. You could work on that. But often we're talking completely over each other's heads, right? We're not even hitting, we're not even hitting the target. And this happens so often with husbands and wives. What makes us think it's not going to happen with our kids? We have to listen 
to our children and our children Kids, you've got to actively listen. In other words, the worst thing you can do is mom and dad are saying something and you're going, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. See? And that's not again, I'm not against iPad, iPods and iPads. I think all of you should have one. If for no other reason, you should have one so that you can be afflicted with it and find out how dependent you become. And actually, it's a good exercise to take your iPhone and put it away and not use it. It's torture. It's the same thing husband and wife. They're talking across the table and the husband's got the newspaper. What's he doing? Now it's not the newspaper, it's the iPad. And it's like this. And she, you know, your wife's saying, you know, all kinds of stuff. And she's like, yeah, 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 you know. It's, it's not attention. But when a child or a young person gives the adult attention, actively listens, then it is tied with obedience. In other words, Paul and Jesus and the the writers of Sage of Proverbs, Solomon and others, said that to hear was to do. Active listening. If you truly heard, then you would obey. You've all heard the genies think, your wish is my command. All you have to do is speak and I will do. And that is what's in view here. Paul is saying active listening is a willingness to act, a willingness to obey. Listening, on the other hand, listening and not acting is what? It's just outright rebellion. Yes? It's just outright rebellion. It is a refusal. It is wicked, wicked disobedience, kids. For your parent to tell you something as simple as I want you to get your room cleaned and the kid says later and then doesn't do it at all. Just a little mundane thing. I want you to do your homework and the kid says no, I'm not going to do my homework and just openly rebels. They heard what you said, but they said no. Or you say no. Now if you do that, you will be nurturing fertilizing, if you want to use that word, fertilizing your selfishness. You're not going to be combating your selfishness. And let me tell you, selfishness is one of those things that will go with you the rest of your life and will betray you every single time. Yes? It'll betray you. Selfishness never is helpful. Not in this context. Okay? So listen to respond. Not listen to... Uh, Listen to hear, not merely to respond. Jesus said it this way, He that has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. He, He wasn't saying that they weren't hearing Him. He was saying, listen. Listen to what I'm saying and act on what I'm saying. In other words, do what I say. Don't just hear it. Let it go down into your heart. In fact, take it into your heart. And it will make all the difference in the world. Very quickly, some Scriptures from Proverbs. Here it is. Paul is channeling the sages from Proverbs here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. This is why I include when it says of fathers, don't provoke your children. I think he's talking about fathers and mothers. There's this unification of of the two thoughts, even though he just says father. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not... Your mother's teaching, Proverbs 1.8, right at the beginning of Proverbs. Hear, 
O sons of fathers' instructions, be attentive. There it is. Be attentive. Don't just hear, but actually do. Attention means you get up and you, you do. Hear, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Include your ear. How do you like that? Incline your ear to my understanding. It's not just the auditory uh, mechanism. It's actually hearing with your heart, mind, and your will. Do you get that, young people? It's hearing with the will. Now, it applies to the adults because Jesus speaks to us every day in His Word, tells us stuff to do, and often we just hear it, but we don't do it. And I'm making an appeal to you for active listening. Obedience. Obedience is active listening. Active listening is obedience. That's what they are. Okay. Um, Now, there are some qualifications that Paul gave. And let me give them to you quickly. Obedience... Listen, young people, and listen, parents. Obedience is not unconditional. In other words, the kids, kids, you don't have to do everything your parents say. And parents, your kids don't have to obey everything you say. And here are the qualifications. Paul makes it very clear. He said, obey them in the Lord, number one, and number two, he says, obey them because it is right. So he appeals to natural, what we call natural revelation. He appears, appeals to general revelation. Uh, he appeals to special revelation, the Bible itself. Paul is saying the qualification for obedience is God Himself and God's law. So, the example is, you're, you're, you tell your child, okay, uh, you know, after church today, we're going to go down and rob... Uh, this restaurant. Okay, it's kind of silly, but that's the idea. What do you do, kids? What do you say? The question is, what kind of gun do I get? No, no, no. It's, it's The answer is no. It, they're asking you to sin, to break God's law, to do something immoral. You're under no obligation whatsoever to obey your parent. You dis respect you respectfully disagree with them and refuse to disobey God's law okay on the other hand parent may say uh, you're doing something you get up in the morning at uh, you know five o'clock I'm sure all of you young people get up at five to pray right (laughs) no you're not up at five o'clock a.m. to pray okay you're praying and your parent comes and says you know what I want you to stop that praying that praying irritates me what do you have to do? You have to continue to pray. You see, there are qualifications. What John Stott says, there are due limitations to what a parent can demand of a child. Okay, And there's other things we won't mention. But there are things that... parent. Now, if a parent asks you to do something and you don't understand it or you're not sure why, uh, you may question, you may ask, but the parent says, no, I want it done. I want you to move that pile of rocks over here. And you say, how come? And dad says, I want that pile of rocks over there. So what do you do, kids? What? You say, yes. Okay, I'll move the rocks. I don't need to know why. Dad wants me to move the rocks. Mom wants me to clean the kitchen. She wants me to cut up the vegetables. She, you know, whatever that case is, I want you to turn off your iPad when we're having dinner at the table. We need to actually see you uh, eating. We need to know that something's going in behind that little machine. 
So put down the iPad, please, for dinner. Ah, oh, but I want to be... No, 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 no. Parent has asked, you do. It's reasonable, okay? So you are to obey. There are those qualifications, but they're rare. So don't start rolling them out and saying, Chuck told, me I, Chuck told us at church I don't have to obey you. Don't do that. Please, I want to keep my job. <laughs> Alright, so no, there's, there's some qualifications, but they're rare and they have to do a sin and you'll know what they are. Okay? And if you're confused, ask somebody. But, uh, uh, so there are qualifications. So that's obedience. What about honor? One commentator, I love this, honor means that frame of mind from which obedience proceeds. In other words, honoring a parent means that you give that parent their rightful and due place. And you say, you know, the parent may not have earned it. Maybe they've been a bad parent. Maybe they've been kind of a lousy parent. Maybe they've made a lot of mistakes. But the child, the young person, and all of you young people are capable of doing that. Saying, you know what, I don't agree with my parent. I don't even like my parent. Right now. You will like them later. Right now, I'm, I'm kind of angry at my parent. But I'm going to give them willingly, because God has told me to, I'm going to honor them. I'm going to have a frame of mind in which I respect and honor them in this way. That obedience will flow from that posture. It's giving them respect and their rightful place. Now why is obedience... Listen kids, here's, here, this is pure gold. I should charge for this. This is pure gold. If you will take this into your life and into your heart, take it serious and start working on deconstructing the selfishness that's already there. If you'll do it, 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 it will reap benefits for you that you cannot believe. And you won't have to be 60 years old like me and still trying to figure it all out. Here it is. Why? Why be willingly obedient? Why give honor to your parents? Even sometimes when they don't... Why do it? Number one, it is the highest form of love and respect you can give your parent. You say you love... I bet if we, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I bet every child in this room, even if you're at odds with your folks right now, I bet you love them, yes? Parents and children love one another. We just often are at odds. There's conflict. And what Paul is saying is, this is the highest form of love and respect you can offer them, is your willing obedience. Not begrudging, not holding your nose, not saying I'll do it later, but willingly obeying. Alright? It's the only way, secondly, it's the only way you'll overcome your selfishness. You're not going to overcome it any other way than crossing, listen folks, crossing your will. Even in Socrates, Aristotle, Hesiod's day, people indulged themselves with personal pleasure and personal self-interest, yes? And what he's saying is that is endemic, that is part of who we are as human beings. There is a self-orientation that is a lifetime to get over. And so, this will address that. This is the medicine. This is the secret sauce that will fix this problem. This is the bullet. This is the stake in the heart of that vampire that dwells in us. This will do it. Selfishness has to be addressed 
And he says, do it by humble submission, obeying your parents. Thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, listen, the way you treat your parents with respect, active listening, and obedience is a direct reflection on your relationship to God Himself. Now, that applies to adults too. Yes, adults? But it applies to children. And so kids, you come to church every Sunday. Some of you come willingly. Some of you come because parents make you come. But don't tell me I love Jesus, but I disobey my parents. Yes? And adults, don't say I love, just, I love Jesus, but I disobey Him. Yes? Do you see how nutty that is? That's the highest form of love and respect that you can give. Your relationship to God Himself is directly tied to how you treat your parents. And so this is of immense importance. And, and, and so Paul and God the Holy Spirit, through His, his own words, said this is the first commandment with promises. He, he, he quotes Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 5. He quotes the law and he says this is the first commandment with a promise. Now what he's saying is this. Listen carefully. The promise, kids, is not the motive. In other words, God is not dangling in front of you a carrot and saying, if you obey, I will give you long life. Like trying to motivate you to be obedient. The motive is what? What is the motive for obeying your parents? It's in verse 21. What is the motive for obeying parents? Say reverence for Christ. Everybody say it. Reverence for Christ. That's the motive. I reverence Christ. I love Jesus. I respect Him. I honor Him. I obey Him. Therefore, I will obey my parents. And the, so the, the promise of long life and blessedness in your life is not the motive. It is the result. It's the result. What God is saying to you is you can have a life. Now you may have a life full of trouble, a life full of trauma. You may not live till you're 85 years. I don't know what all that is. But what God is saying is, I will give you a life of blessedness in which you can rest secure that you are pleasing me and doing what is right. Do you see that? So important. So important. And honoring parents is different than obeying them, yes? Now, I, I'm old and my parents can call me and tell me I want you to do this and I can say no now. It's very difficult. But, <laughs> but I mean, when you get married and you grow up, you create your own DNA, right? And so obedience, child is not necessarily talking about an older person. But honor, you can always honor your parent. Yes? Always. I mean, my parents could have said, I could have said, I'm going to Orlando. Uh, I'm going to go study in seminary. My parents could have said, no, you're not. In fact, my grandfather said, no, you're not. And in my, you know, I'm from the Middle East. Uh, my family's uh, Lebanese. And when the father, the Potter familias, when he said no, what, what did you do? Did any of you wonder why all my family drive white cars? Have you noticed that? 
There's a cult of white cars in my family. No one has a different car. My brother David finally bought a black car. Thank you. Thank you. And my dad, he got a silver truck. Thank you. See, enough time passes, you can actually start disobeying. (laughs) But for years, my grandfather, if you showed up with a car any other color than white, the sky would fall on you. (laughs) What color is that? Change that car. He actually made people take their car back to the car dealer and get a white car. So you go to our house, everybody's car is white. The white car cult. I have a white car. <laughs> okay, so I want red. Do you have to obey your parent? No. Now, if you're 17 and you're getting ready to buy your car and your parents are helping you pay for your car and paying for all your living so that you have money to buy the car and they tell you no red car, you're going to get a white car, what do you say? You say, thanks for the white car. <laughs> okay, you get the picture. But you can always honor your parent no matter how old we are. And so, you know, you get older and your parents are still alive. My parents, thank God, are still alive. I want to honor them. So, uh, confront your selfishness through submission, respect, and active listening for the kids. That's how you do it. Now, quickly, let's move to the fathers. And I hope I can finish this. If I can, I might have to make it up. But uh, fathers and mothers, two commands... And a privilege. So the promise you heard, the two commands. Now he says this, one is negative, one is positive. Don't provoke, he said, fathers, and I'm going to say and mothers, don't provoke your children. What provoke means, this word in Greek means don't incite them to anger. Don't frustrate them. It actually means frustrate or exasperate. Now here's, here's the point. You can frustrate. Parents often don't know that they're frustrating their children. But I'm going to try to help you because I frustrated my children. I know exactly what it is. Frustrating your children is simply this. It is having unmanaged expectations. Are you listening? Parents, say something. Are you listening, parents? Yes. It's having unmanaged expectations. Here it goes. Here's the story. You're at the hospital and out came this baby. And they bring you this child. And you look at the child and what do you say? This child is the most beautiful child ever born. Actually, they're pretty ugly. Very rarely do they look that cool when they come out, right? I mean, they're yikes. I hope they improve. (laughs) Doctor promised me they'll improve, you know. So, but then as they get older, oh, my child is what? The smartest. Oh, he's talking. He's four years old and he learned to talk. <laughs> They're the smartest. They're the most glorious. They're the most wonderful. And as they get older, especially in our culture with the self-esteem, we don't want to damage them. Oh, we don't want to crush their little spirits. We don't want to hurt those little exalted ones, right? We want to tell them they're going to be President of the United States when they're four years old. You can do anything you want. You can play in the National Football League. You can be NBA. You can do this. You can do that. We tell them all kinds of stuff. And you know what? Maybe they can. Maybe they can't. 
but we're so afraid of damaging them, they become what one author called little exalted ones. And it's really apparent in our culture today. I mean, everything is for the children. D- parents just totally devote themselves. And some of you do it. I hope, I hope you're squirming a little bit. Some of you devote yourself entirely to your children. And there's nothing wrong with that until they become an idol. In other words, if their life, if they're not happy, okay, your child's not happy because things are just not going their way. What happens to you? Ask yourself that question. And many of you would have to say, I'm unhappy too. Suffering is sometimes good, yes? Why do we think suffering is good for us and not for our kids? Sometimes they need their wills crossed. Sometimes they need to be told, here's a a great word to learn, parents, for your children. What do you think? Take a guess. What do you think I'm going to tell you to tell your your kids? No! No, you can't have the iPhone 6 Plus. We'll buy it for Pastor Chuck, but not for you. (laughs) All right, come on. You know, over and over indulgence is one of the ways in which we exasperate our children. They don't have to do anything. They just sit around all day. Some of them play video games. They don't have jobs. They don't work. They don't do anything productive. And we wonder why they're angry and restless and frustrated. Because folks, your children were meant to be productive and not just productive with school. School's good, great. They should be getting good grades. But they should have outside interests and they should be pressed into areas that make them uncomfortable. Otherwise, they tend to get frustrated. So taking a a lackadaisical attitude with our children and they don't have to work, they don't have to do anything, they just sit around and as long as they're making good grades and behaving, then we'll keep everything fine. That's not enough. You can exasperate. They have to find meaning and importance in their lives. Even when they're little. Give them chores. I'm reading a lot of stuff right now about, you know, how many of you are raised having to do chores? Almost everybody. You would be shocked to know how few of children of these generations have to do any chores. They don't have to clean up their room. They don't have to do their laundry. They don't have to take out the trash. They don't have to clean up the dog poo. They don't have to do, they don't have to cut the grass. Everybody has yard men today. I'm out in front of my house cutting my grass. And I'm the only owner of my house cutting my grass. Everybody has a yard man. I know Pancho and Jose. I mean, we're all buddies. And my neighbors look at me with suspicion. Gosh, what's wrong? Maybe they're going to lose their house. Maybe they're really poor. (laughs) Okay. Find ways to give your children responsibility, even when they're little. And then as they get older, think about getting them a job, a part-time job somewhere. Otherwise, you're going to be frustrated. And you're going to see that frustration, that provocation. The other way, and this has happened so much, and folks, if you're one of these people, I was this person, I'm begging you, get off of that. Unrealized expectations, demand. it's never good enough. Your kids are never good enough. They get a C and you tell them they could have got a B. And they get a B, and you tell them it could have been a B plus. They get a B plus, and it's not good enough. You should have had an A. And they get an A, 
And you say A+. And they bring an A-plus home and you say, you know, why weren't you getting these on all those other days? It never ends. It's never good enough. It's never high enough. And they're not getting the fastest time when they run the race. And they're not, you know, getting all the patches on their weebelows or whatever. They're, they're not getting everything. They're not achieving that high status that you put them for. The little exalted one. And so some parents lower the bar. I'm not saying to do that. But if, you, if, they're, if they feel like they're never, ever getting there, what would that do to you? It would crush you. And it crushes them. They feel like, what the heck? I'm trying. This is not doing any good. So look at your child's heart. If they're giving their effort, manage that expectation. Don't exasperate. Discourage. It causes them to have loss of hope. Or paralysis. Paralysis. They just become paralyzed. They can't do anything. And the other, the one that's so obvious, is open rebellion. Yes? They just start fighting back. Okay, there you go. Don't provoke them. Instead, he uses a very interesting Greek word, ektrepo, which means to uh, bring them up, gently deal with them. Deal with them tenderly, fondly. Uh, John Calvin says, fondly cherish them. That's how he translated ektrepo. Recognize that children, even older children, are fragile. Their ego, are your fra- adults, are your egos fragile? Say yes, or I'm going to accuse you of lying. Yes, our egos are fragile. Imagine a child. Their egos are fragile. You can crush them by telling them they're not good enough. You can ruin them by telling them they're the greatest person that ever lived. Because that's a lie. Who is the greatest person that ever lived? Who? It's Ronald Reagan. <laughs> if any of you are on Facebook, you know that's true. I mean, they're, if Protestants had a way to deify somebody, they would deify our late president. No, we know who the greatest person is. Come on. There are always greater people than you. So get over it. Get over yourself. So you don't want to make them too high or too low. You want to treat them as who they are. With respect, with dignity. Make them obey. Submission, okay? So bring them up in the nurture and admonition. Deal gently with them. But discipline, discipline is training, correction. Paideia in Greek, many of you know that word. Or instruction, nuthasia. This, this Greek word, very interesting. I don't do this very often with Greek and all, but it means that it's primarily verbal. In other words, you're catechizing, you're instructing your children with words. And at the same time, you're correcting them with discipline, which may actually mean a spanking or punishment, but not always. Okay? And the privilege, the kids have a promise. Parents have a privilege. Here it is. To train up a child, even when he is old, he will not depart. You see, Paul reverts to that Scripture in Proverbs 22.6, which many of you are familiar with. And I need to say a couple things about this, and then I, I need to finish because uh, time is running short. Okay? The privilege is, the parent's privilege is this. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? Let me say a few things. 
This could be understood. This, this, it, 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 it terribly difficult to translate this in Hebrew. The very best Hebrew scholars have difficult translating it. It could be positive. In other words, train up a child in good ways and he will continue to go in the good way. Right? It can mean train up a child in his rebellious ways and when he is old he will not depart from that. It can mean either one. And it may be that way on purpose because what? Both are true, yes? So the language may be intentionally ambiguous for that reason. So that's number one. It could be positive, could be negative. The other part is, and some of you parents need to hear this, and please I say it with all humility, but I'm going to tell you straight up. This is not, not N-O-T, not a promise or a guarantee. None of the Proverbs are promises or guarantees. Yes? Somebody say yes. They're not. Proverbs are not promises. What are they? They're Proverbs. Proverbs are not promises. They are Proverbs. And so when it says train up a child even when he is old, could be understanding it, but it is not a promise. It could be understood negatively or positively. It's, an, it's instruction. The, the, God is telling you something. It's instruction. It's a proverb. An instructional proverb. It is observation. Proverbs were observation. So the, the sage would look around and he was saying, wow, you know, here are parents that are training up their child in the way that, and they actually turn out the way they were supposed to be, right? So he's observing. That's the, the, the way you interpret a proverb, genre of proverbs and wisdom literature. It's observation. It's instruction. Uh, but it is not, it is not a promise. It's not a guarantee. The privilege, folks, that you have with children is that children are messengers that you send into the future, a future you will not see. This, if there was no resurrection, and I believe in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus and all of us who believe in Him, but even if there was no resurrection, this is how eternal life could be realized. Do you see it? I, that's challenging you, but listen. This is how eternal life could be realized. Even if there was no resurrection, there is, but even if there wasn't, eternal life could be realized by the fact that you have the privilege of taking a young person, shaping them, pointing them, correcting them, disciplining them, and then sending them off into the future, a future that you will not see. And it is what the Bible calls and what we call in our theology, covenant what? Continuity. Covenant continuity. Assuring that our children are messengers that we send into a future that we will not see. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. Paul says parents don't provoke them. Don't exasperate them. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's a privilege for you to do this. Where does the power come from? Very quickly, I want to end now with this. And that is verse 21. Submit one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how you respect and show your love and respect for your children and parents, for your kids. 
children, for your parents. This is how you show your reverence and your love for Jesus. It's how you do it. And how do you do it? Where do you find the strength? Where, young people, where do you find the power to cross your will and challenge your selfishness? Listen, 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 kids. Listen to what I'm going to read to you. This is pure gold. Pure gold. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard. He was heard. Why? Because of His reverence for His Father. He was heard. Because of his, he gave up loud cries. He was praying, Oh God. And God heard Jesus because of his reverence for his Father. Although he was a son, he learned obedience by that which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source. Listen, kids, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. What the writer of Hebrews is telling you, young people, is this. Jesus obeyed the Father for you and as you in your place. Not so you wouldn't have to do it, but so that you could. On the cross, if you own Jesus Christ, if you take Him into your heart, and if you tell Him, I will obey you, I will submit to my parents, I will obey you, then all of the power of what Jesus did on the cross, freeing you, kids, from sin and the slavery of selfishness, will actually come to pass in your life. And you will have the means by which to say no to your own selfishness. And that same thing, folks, holds true for you parents. Same thing holds true for your parents. I'm begging you kids, trust Him. Jesus did that for you. He did it so that your sins could be destroyed and you could be free to obey your parents without fear. And parents, He destroyed the sin in your life, took it on the cross to Himself so that you could, without fear, your kids may be acting wild and crazy. You're going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You can have courage and faith that His promise is good to you and that He will do what He said. The promise is to you and to your children and to as many as the Lord our God shall call. I pray you'll do it. Let's pray. Father, it's tough to be a kid. It's tough to be a parent. And we disappoint each other every day. But I pray, Father, that this morning with uh, our young folks here, we have some beautiful, wonderful, tender, and good young people in our church. And I beg You, Father, that by the power of Your Spirit, You would move mightily in their lives right now. Give them the courage to embrace the cross of Jesus Christ and turn a corner in their lives to where they're going to become submissive and obedient to You in a way that will honor their parents. And I pray, Father, that You will put in the hearts of each parent here, please, for the sake of these tender young people that, God, You have given into the charge of their parents, 
that you will give them the courage and the ability to do it. Please, Father, help us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.